This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Independent news commentary with a California perspective and global audience featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 16, Episode 2. The UK's Conservatives choose a new leader and prime minister. In conversation with Georgina Wright of the Institut Montaigne in Paris. The United Kingdom's governing Conservative Party is in the process of choosing a new leader and therefore a new prime minister. And that's the third such change in six years. Caretaker Prime Minister Boris Johnson was ousted by his fellow conservatives, prompting the current race. With us today to discuss the leadership race is Georgina Wright, Director and Senior Fellow of the Institut Montaigne. She formerly worked in Britain for about 10 years and has recently relocated to Paris, where she serves as Director of the Institut Montaigne. She joins us today from her office in Paris. Good morning, Georgina, and welcome to the show. Good morning, Jim. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. Georgina, please tell us about the Institut and your role as Director and Senior Fellow. So that's a great question. So the Institut Montaigne is, is a non-partisan independent think tank based in Paris. So it's it's wonderfully located, not too far from the Elysee. And I sort of head the Europe program. So I look at everything from, you know, what, what the big key developments in the EU. Obviously, the war in Ukraine is is one that we're looking at closely, the repercussions there, where whether Ukraine's future lies in the EU, if it does, when will it might, might it be able to join the club? Um, but I also look at France. EU policy, so its priorities, what it's trying to achieve at the EU level, and how it's perceived as well. And I can't help, because I'm British, to look at sort of Franco-British relations in the UK as well. So we're very busy, but it's an exciting time to be looking at France, the UK, um, and Europe. And you told me earlier before we came on the air that you've been in the think tank world for about 10 years. Yes, I have. I never thought I would stay that long, actually, in the world of think tanks, but uh, but I really enjoyed it. I sort of started off in London at a place called Chatham House, which um, is a think tank that looks, you know, mainly at foreign policy. And I was on the Europe program there. I, I did a stint at another think tank called the Institute for Government, where I mainly looked at Brexit. And, and I just think it's it's a great place to sort of have that time to just pause and think about, you know, what are governments trying to achieve? Um, is this in line with, with the priorities of, of, of the public, of members of the public, and also what recommendations could we make to governments to make their policies more effective. So it's a really exciting time. And, and obviously, at a time when the world is facing so many challenges, I think there there is a need for people to contribute ideas. So that's what we try and do. Very impressive background, Georgina. Now, let's get to the heart of the matter, starting with Boris Johnson. Why did he lose his job as prime minister? Because he's only been prime minister for about three years, and he actually delivered on Brexit. So why has he been ousted as prime minister? So that's an excellent question, but essentially because he lost the support of his uh, party. As you know, in the UK, it's a parliamentary system. It's not a presidential system. And a prime minister can only really remain in post if he continues to command the support of his party. And, and Boris Johnson had been in a trouble for a while. You know, he, he said, elect me and I will deliver on Brexit. Well, he did, but there are still ongoing problems with the deal that the UK struck with the EU. Um, there were a number of allegations during lockdown, so to deal with COVID 
COVID, the UK as many countries around the world was, went into a lockdown and there were allegations that were a number of parties that were being held um, at number 10, which is the Prime Minister's office with um, initially he says I didn't know about them and then it transpired that he may have tended them. But also there are a number of scandals inside the party um, with allegations involving some of his own MPs, which the Boris Johnson had been accused of trying to cover up. So it really had been brewing for a while. And then I think towards the end, there'd just been a string of resignations, everyone from his chancellor, which you know is the second most important uh, government official, to sort of the health minister. Um, and it just became really impossible for him to continue leading without uh, you know a functioning government and, and certainly without the support of his MPs. And so he had no other choice really to resign. And it's not the first time you've seen this. So Theresa May, his predecessor, uh, also had to resign because she lost the support of his MPs. Um, but uh, to be honest, a lot of people thought that it that it was coming. Georgina, let's talk about how the Conservatives choose their leader and who are the leading contenders for leadership of the Conservative Party and therefore Prime Minister at this point. So how it works is that when a Prime Minister resigns, then there will be uh, a number of MPs who will put their name forward. And then um, you you have a, sort of several rounds where progressively there will be people who will be kind of uh, taken out of the race because they won't have enough support. But it's really MPs who continue to vote until you've got two remaining candidates. And that's where we are right now. You have Liz Truss, who's the current uh, British Foreign Secretary. And then you have uh, Rishi Sunak, who is the former chancellor. So he was one of those government officials who, who of course, uh, resigned just before um, Boris Johnson tendered his resignation. Um, and at this point, when you've got two remaining, it's it's both Conservative MPs and Conservative Party members who vote. Now, you're going to have a series of what we call hustings. So uh, you've seen the two candidates going around the country, meeting with members, answering their questions. A lot of these hustings are actually being broadcast. So even those members of the public who are not Conservative members can live listen in and try get a sense of what these two you know uh, contenders uh, their ideas and what they're promising but it really will be up to conservative MPs and party members to vote uh, for the new prime minister so initially when Boris Johnson resigned there was a large number of conservative MPs who threw their hat in the ring and it was a remarkably diverse group of MPs who threw their hat in the ring quite a few women people of Indian descent such as um, Rishi Sunak as well as an MP originally born in Nigeria. Talk to me about the diversity of the Conservative Party, because historically, I don't tend to think of the Conservative Party as being such a diverse party. So actually, it's it's really interesting, and it's it's one of the really nice things I think in in, in sort of nice developments in in British politics overall is that it has become much more representative of British society today. And so you you saw it with the Johnson government, you saw it with the May government, you even saw it with the Cameron government, and you've seen it with Labour governments before that. You know, you have um, MPs or, or, or government uh, officials who who clearly are from from different descents, who are all British, but who whose grandparents may have moved to the UK and that's that's the case for Rishi Sunak who's one of the last two standing who, who came to the UK have made the UK their home uh, but it was very interesting you're right to see out of the sort of the 10 plus candidates who who'd thrown their hat in the rink you had uh, one Nigerian 
uh, ancestry and you had also uh, from from Southeast Asia um, and and I think to a certain extent it's it's really a positive thing and you and you see it more and more reflected not only in the media but in 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 polling um, and focus groups as well of people saying actually this is more reflective of the UK of today um, and it is certainly the case in the Conservative Party but it's also the case in in, in the Labour Party as well now uh, if you look at the final two we have a woman uh, Liz Truss who if elected would be the second the, uh, the third female prime minister mm-hmm. in the UK and then Rishi Sunak who would be the first um, from sort of um, Indian descent so it's quite interesting it's very interesting and and as I say uh, bravo to the British public in permitting a, a system that that fosters so much diversity so uh, I guess we can learn something from uh, from our cousins in the UK on that score let's move on to the race between the two major candidates both Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss how do they differ as candidates? What are their visions for the Conservative Party and therefore for the for the country as a, as a whole? So I think the key thing to note is Liz Truss is much more well known to the British public overall, but also uh, within the Conservative Party. And it's quite ironic because Rishi Sunak until recently was Chancellor, right, which is the second most important post um, in the British government. Um, And yet I think Liz Truss is is someone people feel they understand more. She presents herself as, you know, a person. I am that member of the public. I am you, she says. You know, I I, I sort of am patriotic i i think we should be there's this famous speech she gave a couple of years ago where she said you know we should be drinking more yorkshire tea and exporting more british cheese and we should be proud about that she's very patriotic uh-huh. she's obviously been foreign secretary for a while and been very active on on ukraine condemning russia she's quite um, not hostile but at least uh, go you know hard on on china as well um, and she's very sort of optimistic and upbeat about about the future of the uk so i think that's that's sort of if you're looking broadly um, at, at how she's being perceived, she is seen as one of one of the public, a member of the public and someone who's patriotic and someone who's optimistic. Rishi Sunak is seen as someone who is a man of detail. You know, he was he was chancellor of the Exchequer. He has solutions. You know, you talk about sort of tax reform, uh, rising living costs. He will say, well, during COVID, I, you know, I provided, I, I helped save small and medium enterprises. Um, trust me and I will deliver again and I will get us through this 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 new recession. The Bank of England just today actually uh, announced the UK was was in was going to be in a recession, has just raised uh, the interest rates, hiked them up, I think, for the first time so substantially in 27 years. Is, it's not going to be an easy task. And he says, trust me. But people only really know him for that. They don't really know the Rishi Sunak of every day. They don't really understand where he stands on sort of things like, you know, family values or or conservative with the small C values or, or even on, on foreign policy. It's much more unclear uh, what he does. He, he did live in the US for a while and he studied at Stanford, if, if I recall correctly. Um, and, and he has, you know, um, said that he would also be, of course, condemning Russia, continue to support the ongoing uh, British policy towards Ukraine, um, and also uh, not to be naive about China. But I would say overall, people really do seem to understand Liz Truss much more than they understand Rishi Sunak. As you alluded to, the Bank of England came out this morning and forecasted that inflation over the next 12 months is going to reach 13%, which is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. 
number one. Number mm-hmm. two, that they're projecting at least four quarters of being in recession. So mm-hmm. whether Rishi or whether Liz becomes prime minister, they're both becoming prime minister in the teeth of a recession and a rather a rather strong recession. So how will their how would each of them differ in terms of dealing with the recession and the economy at large? So it's a good question. And it's it's actually not a job that I would particularly want at this stage. And I think, you know, you've got to give it to them running to be uh, prime minister at a time when the country is facing so many crises is, 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 it's, I mean, it it is quite, it is quite the battle uh, that, that, that they are raising. It's, I think they would probably have broadly the same approach. Now, the big difference is that Liz Truss is proning massive tax cuts to ev- on everything, you know, even on sort of foods, which is deemed as very calorific at the moment, they're taxed more highly. She said, I would drop that. Uh, she says, you know, we should make tax cuts everywhere and, and try and stimulate growth differently. Rishi Sunak, on the other hand, says, no, we need to maintain them for a bit. Um, and then once the coffers are, are a bit more full, then we can sort of look into into cutting taxes. Of course, tax cutting taxes is popular where with the conservative that tends to be popular with conservative voters and certainly with conservative party members so that's probably going to win her more points but it's very difficult at this stage to know exactly what their economic policy would look like and this is i think partly a problem that we've seen in the last leadership contest is you have people who are promising you know the world the moon and everything that you want in it and but actually once they're in power uh, realize that it's much more difficult to to implement what they've promised and, and a lot of it will depend of course on what the party wants because it is a parliamentary system. It's not only up to the prime minister to decide. Um, it's going to have to be a government decision, a cabinet decision, but it will also need the backing uh, of the Conservative Party. And the Conservative Party, you know, they have a huge majority in the European Parliament. And MPs who are not, you know, asked to join the government, they're going to have views. And so it's very difficult, I think, at this stage. We could assume that Liz Truss would go for full-on tax cuts. But it's again, it's I think it's too early to say. We'll have to see. Let's come back to the nuts and bolts of the the election itself. So at this point, the MPs have spoken. They've narrowed the race down to two candidates, uh, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. Now it goes to the 160,000 members of the Conservative Party, I guess fully dues-paid members of the Conservative Party, and they will be getting ballots in the mail. Now, I read this morning... I think it was on the BBC that they said that there had been there would be a delay in sending out those ballots because they felt as though there had been some compromise of the security systems of of the vote. Mm. Any thoughts about that, Georgina? So again, I, I sort of read that story as well. Um, I think it, it depends a little bit how it develops, but they absolutely want to make sure that if if they are receiving postal votes or that that, that these are being sort of deemed you know securely and that we're able to account for every vote that's being made and that there's no kind of meddling at all with with that. So I think this security concern has come out. I think it's something the Conservative Party is going to be addressing. And if they feel they need to sort of delay uh, sending out postal votes, they might do that. But we can still expect. I think, uh, the new leader of the Conservative Party to be announced on, on sort of the, around the 5th of September. Uh, and then, of course, whoever becomes leader of the Conservative Party will become the next prime minister. To the extent that you have a group of about 350 Conservative MPs who have narrowed the field down to two candidates, and then it goes out to 100, the, the ballot, the choice goes out to 160,000 Conservative voters. Of course, you have a, a very narrow base of 160,000 conservative voters who are not only choosing the leader of the Conservative Party, but more importantly, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. of 
Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Is that a controversial move? I know that when Boris Johnson succeeded Theresa May and when Theresa May succeeded David Cameron, there was some commentary around that, that this was not a, this was not a democratic process. What are your thoughts about that? This boils down to the whole question of, you know, is it right that 160,000, we sort of think there's between 160 and 180,000 conservative uh, party members, is it right that they get to determine who will be the next uh, prime minister? Well, that's just how the system works. You know, there's a general election um, every five years that has to take place at least every every five years. Um, and if there is a change of leader in, in the party, the party that's governing, um, there is no sort of requirement for, for that new leader to call for an early election. Now, what you've seen in the past is that they've sometimes preferred to do that. So that was the case with Theresa May. And it was the case with Boris Johnson, because they say, well, you know, I've, I've been appointed leader, and I could be prime minister, but it's always better to have a quote, unquote, democratic mandate. But you know, it can go both ways. So if you saw with Boris Johnson, he had one of the largest majorities um, in, in, you know, in, in the Conservative Party's history, political history, but Theresa May uh, lost the majority that David Cameron had and actually ended up in the minority government and that had all sorts of complications when she wanted to pass laws in parliament because she simply didn't have the numbers so it's a gamble you could you don't have to do it and the question is if the new prime minister so we'll find out who they are in September will they want to call for an early election or will they simply wait it out because at the moment what we're seeing is that neither Liz Trust nor Rishi Sunak really have in any way the same amount the same amount of support that Boris Johnson did uh, when he was close to being named leader of the Conservative Party so if they did do that they could lose the majority that the Conservative Party currently enjoys so is it democratic I mean I will leave it up to you and your list is to determine that but it's certainly not a constitutional requirement so um and and in any case the next election is is due in 2025 or 2024 2025 so there's a there's at least another two to two and a half years left in the current mandate before a new prime minister would mm. have to call an election based on a five-year term of parliament the last election was in 2019 end of 2019 so they've got exactly uh, yeah got about two and a half years to go okay exactly once they become prime minister, once either Rishi becomes prime minister or Liz Truss becomes prime minister, then they will pick their own cabinet. So are there mm. any thoughts at this point as regards who either side might be picking? Would that also inform or influence the vote of conservative voters as they as they ponder this choice? So I don't think it will. And for the simple reason where oftentimes we don't even know right until the point that there's a new party leader that's been named and they become prime minister. We, we don't really know who they're going to appoint. Now, there is sort of a, you know, a rumour that says that actually quite a number of Tory MPs throw their hat in the ring, not because they think that they're going to become prime minister, but actually because they quite like a position in cabinet. And they say, well, you know, I'll throw my hat in the ring, uh, people will know about me and then I'll pull out or I simply won't make it to the second round, but I'll say, do you know what? It doesn't matter. Uh, the best candidates are in the race and then actually if you lose sort of with dignity you might stand a better chance of being appointed so I suspect we will see some of the contenders who have been running being appointed in in Rishi but also Liz Truss's cabinet so I'm thinking of Tom Tukendat for example who's the current chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee in the in the in 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 the House of Commons so that our lower house of parliament in the UK who might for example be named the next UK foreign secretary Rishi Sunak was asked in in, in a hustings yesterday 
say, you know, would you would you like appoint Liz Trust to your cabinet? And he said, yes, I would. Um, and but it's not clear that Liz Trust, if she were named party leader um, and then prime minister, whether she would appoint Rishi Sunak. So I think at this stage it's far too early, and I and I'm not sure it's really something that is going to influence the way a Conservative Party members vote. I think I think it's very much going to be based on on the two candidates and who they think whether these two candidates are closest to their own views or what they think the Conservative Party or Conservative government should be trying to achieve over the next couple of years. At the moment, who knows, but I expect we could see some of the contenders um, in a ministerial position. But again, we'll have to wait and see. Of the 160,000 or 180,000 Conservative Party electors who are going to make this selection, what are their top issues at this point? Absolutely. Number one is sort of rising living costs. Um, and that's obviously got to do with inflation. I mean, if you think of, of the number of sort of quote unquote crises that the UK has been dealing uh, with over the past couple of years, you've had Brexit, which was a you know big shock mm-hmm. uh, to the UK economy because the UK was you know leaving this market it was part of uh, over 45 years um, and having to deal with, with sort of new barriers to trade with its with the EU, which is it still continues to be its number one trading partner, uh, but also having to kind of adopt and, and negotiate, negotiate and adopt new trade agreements. So there's some readjustment there. Um, and then came COVID. Uh, and that, of course, also had major repercussions like it did for economies around the world. Um, and now you have sort of the repercussions of, of the war in Ukraine, which are having direct uh, implications on, on on gas prices to a certain extent and uh, electricity prices as well. And sort of these, the kind of the combination of all of these shocks uh, explain why the UK is in the position that it is today with with you know huge inflation and very likely to continue being in a recession uh, over the next year or two so so it's really kind of not a it's not a, a, a great situation for the UK and again as I was saying it it's going to be a key priority for the prime minister but it's top of the minds of conservative voters then you've got other issues around uh, brexit still you know can we stop talking about it can we make sure it's all being resolved there's a deal in place but there are parts that one that they want to renegotiate and then you've got other um, worries around sort of regional inequality. So how can we level up different regions? How can we ensure that people have more jobs that they can apply to? Uh, and education is another one that, mm. that's actually uh, at the top of, of people's minds. So there are lots of issues, the, the sort of typical ones you would expect, but absolutely rising living costs and rising energy costs are, are top. Well, certainly Inflation and rising energy cost and living cost are a big issue here in the United States. It doesn't surprise me that they're a, a major mm. issue in, in the UK, particularly as conservative voters choose who their new leader and new prime minister is going to be. Well, Georgina, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, can you summarize the situation that we face right now? You have a caretaker prime minister, Boris Johnson, who will oversee the affairs of the country until a new prime minister is chosen. Give us a sense of what we should be looking for in the weeks ahead. Well, I'd say it's not going to be a quiet summer uh, in, in the UK. So there'll be lots of happening. What you can expect is the two sort of Rishi Sunak and Liz Trust, the two final contenders really vying for the position of, of leader of the Conservative Party and, and Prime Minister. They will be going, you know, travelling across the country, really trying to convince those those voters uh, that they should be the next Prime Minister. So we'll see lots of promises. Uh, but I think beyond that, we really have to then look at what are they promising? What are they pledging? 
and what do they actually end up doing? Uh, and I think you're right, as, as this sort of leadership contest goes on, the UK is facing major decisions. There are limits to what a caretaker government can actually do. You know, with the UK doesn't have a written constitution, but it has a number of sort of rules and uh, and and there are questions to, to what extent the government can, for example, take emergency measures or not, or do would it be best to wait for the new government to be to be in place? But there will certainly be a lot of work on on tackling uh, rising inflation, on tackling rising energy costs, reassuring you know those those businesses that are worried of, of going bankrupt or, or simply not being able to uh, to continue operating the way they did. Um, and then of course uh, ongoing questions with with uh, Brexit, uh, continuing to support Ukraine at this time of war. So there are still lots of things, lots of government work that will continue. The question is, can the caretaker government take real decisions uh, that will have implications over the years come? Or would it be best to wait until a new prime minister is in place? Well, Georgina, I'd like to thank you very much for taking time to join us today on the San Francisco experience and giving us an, uh, a wonderful explanation as to how the conservatives choose their leader and would love to have you come back in early September once the leadership race is over and a new leader and prime minister has been decided. would love to have you come back and give us a more detailed profile of the winner and the policies that their government will be following. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Jim. It was it was great. And I would, would love to come back and, and sort of and hopefully at that point, we'll have a clearer idea of, of not only what they're pledging, but how they intend to, to meet those pledges that they've set out over the past couple of weeks. Well, once again, Georgina, thank you very much. For sure, we will have you back. And once again, we appreciate the, the clarity of your explanations. And I know my listeners will be waiting to hear back from you again back, come September. Thank you. And for my listeners, today's episode is number 307 as we mark our second anniversary. The San Francisco Experience is carried on 19 platforms, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, among others, with listeners in 65 countries. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from San Francisco.